What's up, y'all? What's up? Uh, We are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, VA workers have a new tentative agreement that they're excited about. Adam has pre-recorded an interview with the president of the local musicians' union. Scabs are trying to decertify the union at Warrior Met Cole. All that and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, we've got a phone number and the line is open. You can call or text 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also leave a voicemail anytime you like throughout the week. And I'll, and uh, do give us a call. We've got a little bit of a lighter program today so we'll definitely have time to get to some calls if uh, y'all want to participate if you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week then uh, you can find us anywhere you find anything online particularly at our website where we just broke the news about the decertification petition being filed uh, by scabs at warrior met yesterday with kim kelly writing the article Uh, So you want to bookmark tvlr.fm so that you're able to see the news as it happens. Uh, We're also, of course, on Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, TikTok, Twitch. Uh, Did I already say Facebook? I think I did. (laughs) Anywhere you find anything, all at the Valley Labor Report. Of course, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. So if you want to become a sustaining donor to the program, make a one-time donation, or buy our merch, you can go to our website, tvlr.fm. You can buy our merch at tvlr.fm slash store. You can make donations and become a recurring donor at tvlr.fm slash donate, or become a patron if you prefer that at patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Uh, and if you're a member of a union, then definitely, definitely think about getting your local, your uh, district council, your regional federation, uh, your international union. All of those organizations can support the show. So definitely uh, think about making that happen if you think that what we do uh, is additive for the world. Um So those viewing on uh, YouTube and Facebook may notice that I'm a bit more dressed up than typical. I have a wedding to go to after the show today. So I just came dressed in my Sunday best. Uh, So 
y'all get a y'all get a bit of a perk there as well. <laughs> um, but uh, really quick, I wanted to touch on this. Uh, I wanted to hit this story first before we get into our interview with uh the workers from the VA about their new tentative agreement. And that's this, uh, you know, the story about inflation has continued to be a relevant story in the headlines as inflation continues to, you know, affect working people. Um, the thing that a lot of folks don't, uh, don't tell you is, is that inflation is easing. Uh, and it's important to understand that, not to say that, oh, okay, it's easing, now we shouldn't be doing anything to tackle it anymore. Of course, there are more things to be done because inflation sitting at 5 to 6% is still a lot more than it needs to be, especially when wages are only rising at 3 to 4% right so this is it's still it's still difficult but it's you know 5 to 6% inflation is a lot different than 10% inflation and it's important mm -hmm. to recognize that because if you don't recognize that then you get the justifications for the federal reserve continuing to raise interest rates like they did last week and the raising of interest rates is specifically the, the mechanically and logistically what that does is it makes it more expensive for businesses and uh, workers to borrow money makes it more expensive for businesses to borrow money, and that will make them less likely to hire more workers. It will make them less likely to give raises. When it costs workers more to borrow money, it makes us less likely to buy houses. I know that if, I, if the interest rates were what they were uh, two years ago, I would be a homeowner right now. I absolutely would be. Because I ha I <laughs> I saved up with a specific purpose for a whole year of buying a house, and then all of a sudden the interest rates skyrocket, and my monthly payment would be, uh, while putting twenty percent down, like three or four hundred dollars a month more than it would have been if I had put three percent down two years ago, right? So it's uh, and, and so. What happens if we don't buy houses? Well, how, less houses get built. Uh, you know, it, it just it increasing the interest rate. The explicit purpose is to quote unquote cool the economy, quote unquote cool the economy, and and it's specifically aimed at attacking wage growth, specifically because of it, it because. Of all of the causes of inflation, you got to think about all the causes of inflation. The war in Ukraine, supply chain shocks, the labor shortage, all of this type of stuff, all the work that needs to be done that is not being done because uh, we don't, you know, we don't have the money to pay people. None of those things are going to be attacked by increasing interest rates. None of them. Increasing interest rates isn't going to stop the war in Ukraine. Intr increasing interest rates isn't going to bring uh, the price of gas down. But it will decrease wages. It will increase unemployment. And they just did it again last week. Despite the fact, despite the fact that inflation has outstripped wage growth, according to the New York Times in an article published yesterday, for 22 consecutive months. 
And that's not, inflation has outstripped wage growth for 22 consecutive months. That's not coming from some lib uh, think tank. That's coming from economists at J.P. Morgan, okay? This is coming from the banking sector. That They recognize this. That's just a fact. Inflation has outstripped wage growth. And so, therefore, wage growth can obviously not be the primary cause of inflation. In fact, just a year ago, analysis by multiple people, multiple studies showed that actually, in fact, profits... Profits accounted for 51% of the rise in prices. Yeah, those, those 2% raises that they were giving out, I don't think that was causing the... <laughs> they always want to find a way to blame a worker, huh? It's, it's like insane. And so according to the Federal Reserve's projections, with their increased interest rate hikes, inflation will drop to between 3 and 4% by the end of the year, accompanied by a jump in unemployment to 4.5% from 3.6% today. That is a loss. Their goal, <laughs> their goal, this is what they're this is what they are going for, is a loss of 1 to 2 million jobs. One to two million jobs that originally Trump appointed Jerome Powell and then Biden reappointed Jerome Powell is aiming for. And the Fed is also projecting economic contraction over the remaining three quarters of the year. I mean, this is just, it is a war on working people because working people they think, amazingly, have it too good. This is what the people who run our society think about us. They think that we have it too good and that instead of attacking profits, instead of saying that the people at the top, who, again, according to analysis, 51% of the rise in prices came from profits, increased profits, 51% of the rise in prices. That means if you if you bring profits down to normal historical levels, you actually get, you cut the inflation rate in half. In half. Just by doing that. Just by bringing profits to the historical norm. But they want to bring wages down instead of doing that. It's just, it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, Jerome Powell needs to be fired. Biden needs to fire Jerome Powell and get somebody else in there, somebody who is not intent on uh, destroying working people. It's absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. We're going to go ahead and take a break really quick, though. We're going to be right back, and we're going to talk to some uh, bargaining team members from the VA, from the VA about their new tentative agreement, the workers' new tentative agreement with the VA. So uh, looking forward to that conversation. Stay tuned, folks. You're listening to The Valley Labor Report. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. 
With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAC. The sign hit the city like a bolt of lightning. You know the photo. It's iconic. Marches in the streets holding a simple sign with a simple message. I am a man. The I Am Story podcast explores the fight that inspired those words. How a group of sanitation workers in Memphis stood up and made history. They don't see us as men and women. Go to IamStory.com or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe.
Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. Filling in for him today is Ben Job. If you have anything to add, you can give us a call or send us a text message. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. I wanted to issue a small correction from the show last week. Our city council watcher, Tristan Gilbert, issued a correction to last week's segment about the Madison City Council uh, report. Uh, He misunderstood something that was said by public commenter Margie Daly. Uh, The group Don't Mess With Madison is not involved in a lawsuit. However, one of their supporters are through Madison City Watchdogs. Uh, Appreciate that correction from a couple of listeners. Always open to feedback like that. If there's ever anything uh, that you feel we have misstated or uh, missed some context for, always feel free to leave us a voicemail or shoot us a text message throughout the week at 844-899-TVLR. 844-899-8857. So the... Veterans Affairs Department uh, serves veterans across the country. Uh, It's very important to uh, taking care of folks that uh, serve this country uh, that in some cases, uh, you know, really gave up their lives uh, in in the military, uh, you know, gave up a, uh, you know, they become permanently disabled. A lot of these folks, you know, a lot of veterans become homeless at some point. It's uh, and, and so. Ensuring that they have health care is a very important thing, and ensuring that the workers who take care of them are also taken care of is very important because, uh, you know, the much like te- much like teachers, you know, their working conditions are the students' learning conditions. Well, VA workers, their working conditions are veterans' healing conditions, and so it's important that uh, that they are taken care of so that they can take care of our veterans and. They have uh, the VA uh, council bargaining team has just announced a tentative agreement covering 291,000 employees at the VA, making that the largest public sector contract in the country. And here to talk about the specifics of that contract are Colin Barrett. He is a AFGE National VA Council uh, National Representative, local 1969 Vice President from the Minneapolis uh, VAMC and National VA Council Bargaining Team member, and William Bill Wetmore. He is an AFGE National VA Council third vice president, local 17 secretary and treasurer, and council bargaining team member. Colin, Bill, welcome to the Valley Labor Report. It's good to be here. It's good to have you. It's good to have you. So uh, before we get into this contract, uh, you know, Bill, could you talk to us about uh, the work that you do in the VA? Sure. Uh, I'm retired now, but I was for 42 years a uh, attorney advisor with the Board of Veterans Appeals. If somebody's uh, claim was not uh, fully granted at the regional office level, then uh, they appealed to the Board of Veterans Appeals for a decision uh, that we would review without regard to the to the um, decision that was made uh, just before they appealed it to us. 
So we would write a decision in, in a tentative decision in final form was the way my first judge described it. Gotcha. Gotcha. And Colin, what about you? I don't believe Colin's in. Oh, Colin's, calls in yet. <laughs> Colin hasn't called in yet. Okay, sorry about that. So, uh, Bill, talk to us about, you know, I've seen this, um, uh, the AFGE, I'm also a member of Local 1858, AFGE mentioned on their Twitter account that, uh, that this tentative agreement comes after a lot of work from y'all on the bargaining team, obviously, but from VA workers across the country, they talk about more than 50 rallies have been hosted, uh, 5,700 petition signatures, thousands of workers lobbying in Washington, D.C., All a lot of work from VA workers to get to this tentative agreement. What was it that animated uh, workers across the country at the VA to ensure that they were able to get this contract? Well, uh, I'm I'm firmly convinced that was the outrageous proposals that management made to us uh, when they reopened the contract back in 2017, and we negotiated uh, that contract. And management was uh, found uh, in the Federal Labor Relations Authority uh, and in the courts to have engaged in illegal bargaining. And so we came back and uh, in 2020 and started bargaining again on a um, limited reopener. We only reopened 12 articles, six uh, that we chose and six that management chose. Meanwhile, there was a sidebar discussion going on, uh, which culminated in a meeting um, that I and several other members of the bargaining team, including Colin, uh, attended um, with the national president of AFGE uh, and the uh, on the other side, the secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs, as well as the chief negotiator for the department and uh, notable other figures, including general counsel uh, representatives of the department. So that kind of boiled down to the secretary kind of surprised me and I think everybody else on our side of the table by actually saying, well, if you just give me article 23 uh, as that we've tentatively agreed to, uh, we'll give you the rest of the contract. And all of a sudden it looked like we were done. We were scheduled to bargain uh, on a schedule of two weeks on and two weeks off for um, until 2024. But now um, it looks like uh, the bargaining is completed and we'll have a contract in effect for three years. Uh, that is changes in Article 23 and some conforming changes in other, in other parts of the contract that will um, see us through um, well. I think I think for the good of the bargaining unit, we've made a good deal. Um, it's not everything that uh, we wanted, but it's not everything that we wanted either. So I, I think it's a deal that both sides have, have agreed to. We've got signatures. And so we'll be moving forward with ratification process and then agency head review. We expect ratification to go forward smoothly and we expect agency head review to go forward smoothly. And we'll have a new contract in, in sometime in the summer. That's great to hear. And and just remind folks and remind me about how the uh how the bargaining process started. You know, this has been a five and a half year process uh that began under the last administration. Correct. Yes. Um their initial proposals, um uh and they've gone through several chief negotiators. We've had Alma Lee, who's the president of the council, has been our chief negotiator throughout this process. 
and uh, MJ Burke, Oscar Williams, uh, and myself as national officers. And uh, I should mention Kathleen Pachomsky, April Brazil, Steve Grogan, Colin Barrett, um, and as well as our attorneys, uh, Thomas Dargan and Ibadan Roberts. Um, we've been involved all along in this process from the beginning, from back in, in late 2017 when they reopened. And uh, we've been um, struggling with their proposals. As I said, we've litigated them and, and prevailed. Their proposals were, were in simple terms, out illegal. Uh, and so it's, it's been through the, the efforts from the ground up. We're a union. And so we, we strongly believe in solidarity and all the efforts that have been made by our people in the field the rallies that you've mentioned, the petitions that have been signed, the, the trips to Congress to uh, try and bring the department to some reasonable level of participation in this process have finally paid off. Well, that's that's great to hear. And th at one point during the last administration, they tried to implement uh, some of these proposals over um, before bar or, or without completely bargaining over it, right? Correct. That was one of the, that was the I guess the the main argument that we had and why we prevailed in court because uh, they illegally implemented um, they illegally implemented across the federal government not just for us but we are second to the Department of Defense with a total of over four hundred thousand employees as you mentioned two hundred ninety one thousand represented by AFGE and the National Veterans Affairs Council so they implemented that they kicked us out of our offices they took away our official time. Uh, and they took away all of our equipment to uh, contact employees. So it was a very trying time for several years where we had to all kind of work uh, as uh, labor representatives uh, on our own time on Saturdays and Sundays and before and after our tours of duty. Um, I retired in March of 2020 and took on a lot of the local work for a while there until we finally got our time and our space and our equipment back. But uh, yes, very trying time. And, and again, um, all of it found to be illegal. The departments had to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars because they did the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And so in this new contract, let, uh, let's talk about some of the things that, that we won. What, what would be you know, a couple of your big highlights that you think your members are going to be uh, most excited about? Well, um, we've, we've kept everything in the contract. The contract is rolled over except for Article 23, which is the, it's a merit protection article. And, um, uh, but so we've still got, we're still fully representing uh, all of the doctors, nurses, the um, technicians, the health, the, um, all the way down to house, housekeeping are full. There are due process provisions of the contract. I think people are going to be happy about that. Um, that we have basically uh, still uh, kept involved in pre-decisional matters, and uh, we're fully uh, negotiating at every level of the of the department uh, for the um, to make sure that workers' rights are fully protected. And uh, another thing that y'all were able to do is maintain uh, telework rights, which has been something that, uh, you know, under this administration, pres you know, presumably we could imagine that 
they wouldn't be attacking telework. But but in, in some cases, you know, there are there are some managers that are and certainly the Republicans in the House, uh, you know, are trying to pass a resolution attacking federal employees for telework, despite having absolutely no evidence that telework has, has actually affected the performance of federal workers or any workers for that matter. Um, but but I'm sure that that's for, for the ones that are uh, uh, eligible for telework. I'm sure that this this comes as a relief. It does. I couldn't agree with you more, Jacob. Yeah, the Republicans have a bill in Congress called show up. Um, the, the fact is the, the statistics are there. The department has never uh, been so effective at taking care of veterans' health care. They've never been so effective at taking care of veterans' benefits. And the cemetery administration continues to perform at, a, at an outstanding level. Evaluators over, I think, 98%, one of the leading segments of the whole federal government. Um, so, yes, telework is very important. Obviously, uh, we have a lot of people who have to put their hands on veterans and treat them. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and a lot of people that have to come in and, uh, as I said, housekeeping, grounds people, uh, painters, everything to keep this uh, organization moving uh, effectively. It depends on every part of it. But a lot of our people, we have a lot of telehealth care. We have a lot of people in the benefits side who, um, while many of them do have to see veterans one-on-one, -on -one, um, many of them can do their work from home and are doing it. And as I say, the statistics show that the department has never been performing at a high level. Right, right. And uh, you also mentioned, the AFGE mentioned in their, um, in some of their uh, media about this, that they have, uh, that y'all been able to protect, protect uh, workplace health and safety rules. Um, expand on that a little bit. So we have, uh, I, I think, I think arguably the most important thing that any union can do is provide a safe environment for them, for the employees and the people that we represent. And um, management wanted to attack several sections of that uh, of our um, Article 29, which is pertaining to uh, health and safety in the work environment. Um, they felt that uh, they wanted more management flexibility, more discretion to um, affect things at the workplace that we have been defending for many years since since 2011 when we signed this concurrent contract and uh, so yes so um people get to um properly report and abate problems with asbestosis with mold uh people get to um be protected against the um the hazards of the environment things like um, laying electric line uh, in ditches. Um, it's, you know, it's a myriad of uh, problems that happen on the work site. The most dangerous are uh, the people that get injured the most at work. It turns out to be registered nurses. That's my understanding. I haven't seen those stats. But again, we represent about 60,000 registered nurses, and we need to make sure that we're properly protecting our healthcare workers against the dangers of the environment. And uh, the last thing that that I wanted to make sure that we touched on is uh, this uh, the streamlined hiring process. Uh, um, President Everett Kelly mentioned in the in the press release that uh, that actually the VA has oftentimes lost qualified applicants due to uh, the quote lengthy hiring process. Um, so talk to us about what the hiring process looks like before the VA and what applicants can expect it to look like going forward. 
Well, I wish we'd solved all the problems in the hiring process. That that's that would require some legislation and some change in OPM regulations. And I'm not sure that we want to speed it up so much that we hire um, people who aren't as as they should be. But I couldn't agree with National President Kelly Moore that we do need to streamline the process. We've been working with the department to hire hire fast and hire right. Mm-hmm. Both of these are crucial to the hiring process. We have uh, given the department um, several several uh, tools that they asked for. Um, that is, we we've um, we've made the uh, putting employees on hiring panels discretionary to the department where it was compulsory before. We thought that it was a good idea to have people who do the work be involved in hiring people who are going to do the work. Uh, we've eliminated areas of consideration. We've let the department hire uh, from any place. We thought that it was good for morale to hire at the facilities first and then go outside for qualified people. And finally, um, we've cut down the posting period from 15 calendar days to eight uh, count, excuse me, 15 work days to eight calendar days in order to um, allow for the department to hire more quickly. Uh, we were kind of persuaded in some of those things because the department has been swamped um, with uh, applications now. Um, oddly enough, uh, many people are looking for healthcare jobs and we're looking to work in the benefits side and even the cemetery side of the department um, because there's a lot of good things to say about federal employment, the, the not the pay, certainly, mm-hmm. The, uh, the the benefits, the the annual leave, the family friendly leave, um, all those benefits are something that private industry is still working to um, to create uh, in their jobs. So we have those things in the federal government, and we think that um, we're going to try and cut down the hiring time by ten days. So instead of ninety days, it would be eighty days. Instead of for our nurses and doctors who I think understandably uh, we're more concerned that they are properly vetted and make sure that we're not hiring people who um, might cause harm. Uh, so uh, that process still will take probably 120 days and, and it's a problem. And I don't, I don't know how to, again, making sure that we hire the right people is as important as hiring them quickly. So I don't think we can eliminate that problem. I don't think people are going to just hire somebody and have them working the next day. I don't think that's ever going to occur. Right, right, and that and that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, and you know, being a union radio program, we've got a lot of people that listen to us that uh, are members of unions, and a lot of people that are members of unions in the private sector, and so, uh, so they may be uh, something that may be noticeably absent to them is a lack of discussion about wages and health care. And uh, so the difference uh, between private sector and and federal employment is that. Uh, for federal employees, uh, the salary and and those healthcare type benefits are actually set by Congress, right? But that doesn't mean that AFGE is totally, uh, you know, out to lunch on uh, uh, VA workers' pay and healthcare and retirement. Talk to us about some of the um, uh, some of the efforts that y'all have on ensuring federal employees uh, get those uh, additional benefits as well. Yeah, Jacob, you're right on point as far as that goes. The uh, and as we've been so entirely through this program, I appreciate that. Um, the 
Yes, we can talk about wages. We can talk about benefits with the department. We can't negotiate those things like as they do in private industry, and those are crucial matters for people in private industry. Um, one of the advantages of it is that is that there is there's no discrimination in terms of wages. Women who hold a state job or a GS fifteen job get paid the same as as the men. Um, but so what we can do and we do do. Uh, and it's part of our three-legged approach to representing employees. Uh, we negotiate, we leg uh, litigate, and we legislate. And so we spend a lot of our efforts and energy and money uh, trying to get Congress to see the value of improving working conditions in terms of pay and uh, the benefits of uh, insurance and health care that, uh, that VA employees in our case, be employees, but of course, if we prevail, then everybody, uh, all federal employees, uh, benefit from it. Absolutely. Uh, well, Bill, I appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you think folks ought to know about this uh, about this contract or uh, what AFGE is doing, uh, uh, what our VA workers are doing in AFGE? Uh, no, I think that uh, you covered the ground very successfully, Jacob. I appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you, and I hope that your listeners have benefited from uh, my observations. Bill, I appreciate your time. Bill Wetmore, AFGE National VA Council, third vice president, local 17 secretary and treasurer, and bargaining team member for the National VA Council. Thank you for your time. appreciate it. All right, folks, so um, we're going to go ahead and move on to our next uh, topic. And uh, we're going to hit this, and then we're going to go to a break and be back with a, uh, a really great interview that I'm looking forward to listening to. Uh, it was pre-recorded by Adam Keller with the president of the American Federation of Musicians Local 80 who represent uh, the orchestral workers at the Huntsville Symphony Orchestra. So that's very cool. You know, we've been over the last few weeks um, kind of highlighting some maybe non-traditional, quote-unquote, union uh, union workers. Uh, you know, people, Adam mentioned this in an interview with America's Workforce. Uh, highly recommend people go and check check out America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferentz, just generally speaking. Uh, but definitely you'll want to go and check out Adam's interview. He did a great job. But one of the things that he mentioned is that, you know, there's this conception of union workers as, um, and really, frankly, I would say even workers, workers in general, as big, burly construction men with hard hats, right? Uh, but that's, uh, those people are important and those people are union workers, and those people are workers, uh, but they're definitely not uh, not all or even the majority. In fact, in fact, the most common union member in the country is a black woman. Demographically, the most common, the modal union worker in the United States of America is a black woman. And so, you know, those are uh, that's important to to remember when we're thinking about union workers, and and we want it. We've been kind of highlighting some quote unquote non traditional union workers over the course of the last few weeks, and so really excited to bring this interview um, to you. But uh, first, let's talk about this story out of Brookwood. Um, 
and that is that a decertification petition has been filed with the National Labor Relations Board seeking to get rid of the union at Warrior Met Coal, seeking to get rid of the United Mine Workers of America at Warrior Met. Uh, Kim Kelly has the full story at tvlr.fm, uh, so you'll want to make sure that you check that out. But uh, just to lay out the process for you of decertification, and then we'll get into a little bit about the specifics of this story, but uh, the process of decertification is largely going to be the same as the process of certification, meaning that if you're in a union workplace and there is an interest in decertification, then you have to file an election petition showing uh, with at least 30% support, meaning that at least 30% of the rep of the bargaining unit has uh, signed on to the petition requesting the election. That's called a showing of interest. Uh, and then if that showing of interest is met, there will be a decertification election well, where you will vote yes or no, uh, we want to be a part of the United Mine Workers of America. 50% plus one uh, to oust the union. And so that's how uh, that would happen. And it's important to note... In, especially in a decertification election, it's important to note in a, in a union certification election as well, um, because company unions are bad, but it's particularly even more relevant when we're talking about decertifications. And what I'm talking about is that company collusion is illegal. It is illegal for management to be behind, to be actively supportive of a decertification attempt. Because it's also illegal for management to um, to be actively supportive of a union election as well. Because under the National Labor Relations Act, the formation or dissolution of a union is to be the sole domain of the workers. The workers are the ones who are supposed to have the choice whether to be or not to be in a union. It's not, it, it is, uh, you know, I think wrongly, I think wrongly, the National Labor, Labor Relations Board under McKay has decided that, um, uh, that it is okay for employers to share their feelings about unionization uh, and hold these captive audience meetings and try to indoctrinate their employees into anti-unionism, uh, indoctrinate their employees into union bigotry. But um, uh, uh, So that's legal, but it is not legal for an employer to go around saying, uh, uh, saying that you should vote, uh, uh, that, that you should have a union here. You should, you should put, put forward this, uh, union campaign to, uh, donate it fiscally or any, anything like that. And I say that's important to note because obviously an employer is going to be in favor of a decertification, right? That, and so, and so there is every incentive for them to be involved actively in a decertification campaign. That's just generally, but not only generally, we've actually been made aware of uh, allegations that the person who filed the decertification petition, uh, the per that person almost certainly being a scab, a replacement worker, 
somebody who scabbed on their brothers and sisters in Brookwood who took their jobs uh, during the strike. Uh, that decertification uh, petition was allegedly filed by an employee that was escorted by a supervisor to the filing office, which, <laughs> <laughs> which I think that alone, if that proves to be the case, the decertification petition is going to be thrown out. The UMWA has told Kim Kelly that they intend to uh, they intend to contest this uh, uh, this decertification petition on you know, on among other things, grounds that, you know, uh, that management is behind it and that's illegal. Um, and so they are, uh, uh, so I think that's actually probably likely that the decertification petition gets, gets thrown out, but it is just a, um, you know, it's really gross, especially after, you know, this long strike and after the UMWA has sent an unconditional uh, offer to return to work. I mean, the UMWA has basically said, look, okay, the strike hasn't worked. Our members need to get back to work. We want to get back to some sense of normalcy. And so we're going to, you know, basically, you know, not be fighting as hard. And the just grossness of Warrior Met to not be willing to take yes for an answer uh, and to still continue to try to bust up this union, this union that has been in Walker County for over a, uh, Walker County and Tuscaloosa County for over a century, right? The UMWA has been in Alabama for far longer than Warrior Met has even existed. Far longer than Warrior Met has even existed. And yet Warrior Met is trying to, uh, you know, I mean, trying to attack our people. Trying to attack our people, trying to take away uh, their voice, their organization, and their ability to collectively come together for the purpose of uh, bargaining wages and benefits and work uh, and working conditions. And it's, it's obvious that they still consider them a threat, too, even right. though they have... Uh, uh, put this fight on hold or have decided to bargain directly. I mean, um, or cease bargaining for now, but yeah, they're still, they're still going to try and they, that wasn't even enough for them. Um, mm -hmm. so you can tell where it's leading. Like there's, there's a uh, no union too small or like too powerless for them for, uh, in their, in their heads, they're going to just going to crush it with yeah. all they can. Yeah. It's just gross. And then, and of course, uh, you know, we have so far been, as far as I can tell, the only outlet to to report on this, and that's not, uh, but you know, that's not terribly surprising. But uh, even less surprising is that uh, um, is that no politicians have come forward to denounce this effort to try to bust the union, uh, and it's not surprising because over the course of the strike, not a single Republican has condemned Warrior Matt Cole. Uh, not a single Republican has actively supported these striking workers. Um, and and so, of course, after they end the strike, they're not going to uh, try to push for fairness from Warrior Met towards their constituents, um, you know, because they don't they don't care about their constituents. Um, you haven't heard any of the uh, the uh, Congress talk about the Dollar General employees or right. uh, any of the baristas that were. Like anybody, really. I've not, I don't hear them talk about workers very often at all, really. No, no, no. Um, 
Kim mentions in the article that the union has poured millions of dollars into the strike, uh, $38 million as of March the 1st. Um, and uh, uh, But throughout the course of the strike, the company has used every possible means to break it uh, from acquiring court injunctions that severely limited workers' ability to pick it, including at one point, remember, and, and remember, you know, the same people who supposedly love coal miners but didn't do anything to support the strike, the same people ostensibly supposedly love free speech now. And yet, there was no condemnation from these people when there was a court injunction to ban picketing at Warrior Map Coal. I'm not talking about, oh, you can only have uh, a dozen or six or seven or eight people. I'm talking there was a period of about three months where the striking workers were completely banned. There were to be no pickets in Tuscaloosa County. And yet, you know, the free speech lovers said absolutely nothing. They smeared the workers in the local press. They turned a blind eye to their employees committing vehicular assault on strikers and their spouses. I mean, just everything, everything that they could possibly do. And the union has fought back, uh, but skyrocketing coal prices really hurt their ability to inflict meaningful economic damage on the company. And we've talked about that as well, how uh, this mine uh, mines metallurgical coal and the prices of coal and steel which uh, metallurgical coal is used in the production of steel. The prices of steel have absolutely skyrocketed, which has allowed the company to, despite, um, despite having a decreased production, in, uh, still bring in profits. Um, and so, you know, that was, that was a big reason that the strike was not able to inflict a whole lot of economic damage and ultimately uh, not able to... Um, ensure that the company comes to the table and give them a fair contract before ending the strike. I, I think also the size of these companies where they mm -hmm. have branches, they have uh, a multitude of other uh, businesses, the monopoly that they can control, can they can bring all that to bear on right. our communities. So, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and not only are they now trying to decertify the union, uh, they are slow walking the return to work. It's been over a month now that the UMWA sent an unconditional return to work offer. But currently, only 273 UMWA members have returned to work. They've slowed down the return process, and they've only been scheduling a handful of physicals per week. It's just, uh, you know, so the company's slow walking the return, undoubtedly, contributed to the miners' frustration. And one UMWA staffer believes that Warrior Med is actually intentionally trying to stir up discontent and animosity towards the union, uh, in part through this slow walking the return. So just a really, really gross, uh, gross display from Warrior Met and the scabs down uh, in Brookwood, Alabama. Pittsburgh Dude 87 says, I wonder if the scab got paid 30 pieces of silver. And honestly, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't doubt it. I would not doubt that at all. I would not doubt that at all. If you have anything to add, you can give us a call, 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. We're going to go to a break really quick and be right back with Adam's interview with the American Federation of Musicians, Local 80. Stay tuned. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. 
With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Do you work in an auto manufacturing plant? Are you tired of taking pride in your work without getting the respect you deserve? Consider joining the fight to unionize. 
Auto workers across the industry are coming together because with a union, we can negotiate for the pay, benefits, and security that we deserve and can help sustain our families. In union plants, workers bargain for long-term wage increases, competitive bonuses, and more affordable benefits. You can join the growing wave of organizing today. Find out more and contact us at Uniting Auto Workers on Facebook or contact UAW Region 8 in Lebanon, Tennessee by going to www.uawregion8.net. That's www.uawregion, the number 8, N-E-T. A better future is ours. Union Talk Radio Show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. Filling in for him today is Ben Job. If you've got anything to add, you can call or send us a text at 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. Got the text from Infinite Content about Black Blackstone. Blackstone Group buying up San Diego's affordable housing and hiking up rent prices. Absolutely disgusting stories and uh, highlighting the importance of social housing, of public uh, public housing, and uh, the importance to <laughs> the need to do that, to do a lot more of that, frankly. Uh, also in the chat, he mentioned that uh, Michigan repealed right to work in the state a couple of weeks ago, and indeed they Woo-hoo! did. We talked to a state representative from Michigan, Joey Andrews, about just that, as well as the reinstitution of prevailing wage, and some things that might be on the horizon in Michigan, including potentially co-determination. So you can go check out that interview with Democratic Representative Joey Andrews on our YouTube podcast, all of that good stuff all at the Valley Labor Report if you missed it. Um, So let's go ahead and get to this interview that Adam conducted with the local American Federation of Musicians. Let's go ahead and play that. All right, folks, you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. We are Alabama's only union talk radio show. My name is Adam Keller, and I am here with Taylor Brown from the AFM Local 80 right here in Huntsville. Taylor, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So let's start with an introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, your background with the union, and how long you've been with the union. Well, I'm a double bassist uh, based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I am the principal of the Chattanooga Symphony and Opera and a professor at UTC, UT Chattanooga. Um, I freelance a little bit uh, as well in the non-classical scene, kind of doing bluegrass and country stuff. Uh, And I am the president of AFM Local 80. Cool. And how long have you been president? I think I've been president for like three or four years, but I've been doing... uh, rep work at a lot of different levels for about 10 years. Oh, great. Great. So did you get involved with the union pretty quick once you entered the classical music scene or was it something that developed over time? Well, my my introduction to the union in the classical scene was I 
won a part-time job in Canton, Ohio. And the guy sitting next to me was the union steward. And he said, hey, you have to join the union. And I said, sure. <laughs> um, and then through being in different orchestras and kind of developing, I got a little bit more involved in what was going on. And when I got in Chattanooga, they asked me to be a, a delegate for a player conference. And from there, it started really building my education. And, and I got myself more involved in uh, the everyday working of the orchestra. Right, right. And I, I love those delegate positions, because that's often a good way to get introduced and, and meet people. And so anyone who's listening, who's, you know, getting just now getting involved in their union, whatever industry it may be, keep it keep your eye out for a delegate opportunity, great opportunity to, uh, to network. So tell us about AFM Local 80. Who are your members? What do they do? And where do they perform? So the AFM Local 80 is also known as the Tri-State Musicians Union. We okay. represent musicians in uh, southeastern Tennessee, northwestern Georgia, and northeastern Alabama. So we have a, a big coverage area. Our members are predominantly uh, members of the Huntsville Symphony, the Chattanooga Symphony, and freelancers in the area that do a little bit of classical work. They do Broadway shows, they play bar gigs, play weddings, you know, basically anything where you can put a musician, uh, that's things that our members do. Um, and from there, you not only do we negotiate contracts with these symphonies uh, in our jurisdiction, we also assist freelance players with uh, contract support and negotiating support and training for them. Um, and general education and we had kind of you know like any union serve as as a as a, a balance to the reality of the market and that you know employers can do a lot against one musician but it's harder for them to do whatever they want against a group of musicians right absolutely the strength in numbers and and being able to establish ground rules in writing i mean that's just so that's a union difference that a lot of folks don't get in their workplace. You know, if they do not have a contract and they don't have folks that can negotiate. Uh, so that's, that's fantastic to hear that, you know, we have union musicians at the Huntsville symphony at the Chattanooga symphony and, you know, folks in our area are predominantly in the Tennessee Valley. So, you know, that's, that's a great thing. And uh, you mentioned it already a little bit with what y'all do at AFM 80, but, you know, why is that important, the work that y'all are doing for your members? Well, uh, I mean, first of all, when it comes strictly to the music business, you know, we are establishing the standards uh, of when it comes to pay and it comes to, uh, you know, the operation of how music works. Uh, and then within that, we're also, sorry, beyond that, we're also preserving this, this art form through making it a viable career. You know, there, there, there's plenty of people in the world that just want to play music and, and are happy to do it. But what pushes it to its highest levels is creating it as a career and giving people the time to be creative by having, when they do their work, they make a good amount of money. They can, they can make this the bulk of what they do and concentrate on it. Um, and then, Beyond that, I mean, we are a union in the labor movement, and I, I was planning on saying this at the end, but I can say it now is that, you know, the union is the single greatest tool that that working people have to create a better life for themselves. There's there's nothing else better that I found. I've been looking, but 
it's what we have and it's what works. So, you know, we're doing that from our field and that affects everybody. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yeah, I'd love to hear you say that because obviously we share that, that idea that this, when working people come together collectively, we have strength that, that we don't have individually, not in our system. And so uh, it's important for workers in whatever field they're in, as far flung as coal mines to coal centers to symphony musicians, right? That you are able to protect each other, look out for one another. And something else that I heard you say, which you know I think is very important, is that your union is helping to secure the profession to establish certain standards uh, that are there for the profession. And I think that's very important. Uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, unions get a bad reputation uh, for their role in the workplace and things of that nature. But uh, what I have found and, and what I think you have found is that uh, unions are a way to, to raise the bar and to keep the bar high and to ensure that folks can make a living doing what they're passionate at, what they're skilled at. You know, we have folks in our community who have these amazing talents to play these instruments that, you know, most of us wouldn't even know where to start. And so it's important that y'all are able to, to do that in a way that's sustainable. And so that not only can we enjoy it as, as attendees and as guests, but we can take solace in knowing that y'all can can earn a livelihood you know performing yeah. for us and that's yeah. just, that's huge that's huge all the greatest orchestras in the world are unionized <laughs> and they have a strong uh collective approach i mean an orchestra in general is a collective unit but all of them that that's what preserves it as a high standard high elite art form is actually the union it's it's a worker based thing not just a you know abstract that people believe this music is great no it's it's the people that do the thing have come together and put their necks out to ensure that it is a viable career for the future and trying to be good stewards of that career um one thing i heard you say and i just i like to comment on whenever i talk to people about the union is is that you know the bad rap that that unions have gotten in this country uh, and I, I grew up in the South, I grew up in North Carolina, and I think most Southerners have this same experience where we're, we're really brought up to view the union as, as a problem, or is it protecting people who don't want to work hard. But, you know, I've worked in union environments, I've worked in non-union environments, and you can't tell me that, that both don't have people within the workforce that, that maybe don't work their hardest. You, you can't tell me in a non-union environment where you look at people and, and you can't say that people are, uh, you know, dragging their feet. It happens in every workforce. The difference between a non-union and a union workforce is that everybody in a union workforce gets the same fair treatment. And, and that's basically it. So, yeah, if people are, are not wanting to work at the level that the collective wants to work at, they can be dealt with in a non-union environment. I mean, excuse me, in a union environment. But they're treated with dignity. They're given a chance to remedy, which is which is all that re people really want. You know, people are going to have good days and bad days. You know, in an orchestra, as a tenure musician, I I have the freedom to try to try to play things in a way that and take risks. And sometimes those risks are going to lead to a failure on stage. 
I have the protection of and the dignity to for that to be recognized as not who I am, but instead I took a risk and now I'm going to remedy it and be better the next day. And and that's really what I think is an essential part of kind of debunking that argument that unions protect weak people. We don't. We protect the profession and make sure the profession and the professional is treated with dignity. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. There was a you said some really powerful things there. And you know, a couple of things that come to mind would be you mentioned the symphony and how it is a collective effort. And and I think that's you know that's really just cool to think about. Uh, and it to me it just makes sense uh, that y'all would have a strong union because you are working in collaboration and in cooperation with each other like that is what you do there is no symphony of one right so right. i think that that is a central piece of it uh, but i also i'm reminded of you know educators and uh, other professionals who are unionized who who need that protection to be able to fully maximize their talents and their their intellectual skills and you know, if you're a teacher, having having the security to know that you can go out on a limb and experiment and do new things right. with your students to see what works, right? And and what you're speaking to is that basic level of due process that unions fight for. Right. Uh, you know, we don't fight to defend poor, poor performance because ultimately that's a reflection on ourselves. You know, right. none of us want that in this movement. What we want is the due process. And, and as you said, to ensure that folks are treated with dignity and respect. And that when there are problems in the workplace, we have some established ground rules on how to solve that as right. opposed to just at someone's whim. Uh, and I think that is very important. And, and as you speak to it, it, it gives people some comfort in doing their job to the best of their ability, frankly. Yep. And trying to push their job to be their ability to be better within their job and without the consequences uh, uh, or the, really not consequences, but the, the whims of a, a manager who maybe even in their best intention, getting pressure from elsewhere to do things. It's right. We're all people here and people are fallible, but our systems that we create should help support the fallible people, not just a arbitrary idea of what, you know, work is. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's, it's important for folks to hear that from different perspectives. Uh, it's easy for folks to think that unions are, you know, just for, auto workers or just for coal miners but anyone who is reporting to a boss yeah you know, anyone who doesn't control their their labor uh and, and in particular when you're working with other folks there's there's a need there's a need and so uh yeah i really appreciate you saying that and and one thing i also wanted to make sure we address this morning is if someone's listening and they're interested in being a union mus musician, if they're interested in getting into this career field, uh, do you have any you know thoughts to share with them? The uh, easiest place to join the union is to go to afm.org. That's our national website, and from there, there's a there's a button on there that says join, um, and inside there, you can find the local that's closest to your geographic area. And if you're in you're in the Huntsville area, you're looking at local eighty, and that's that's us right here. Um, you could also email me at afm80president at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to tell anybody the the truth and what I think about you know what we're doing here. I have I have a, a big mouth when it comes to what I do, so I'm happy to share and and happy to listen to people that disagree with me. You know, I have no problems with that. Right, right, absolutely. So, 
do you all have anything uh, exciting coming up in terms of performances, uh, especially like in the Huntsville area? Um, I, as a member, I'm not a member of the Huntsville Symphony, so I really don't keep track of everything sure, they do. Sure. Um, I mean, the things that I'm most excited about from the union perspective is that the Huntsville Symphony just ratified an a five-year agreement. Ooh, after, that's great news. Or, yeah, it is. And after it's nearly a year of negotiation, um, which uh, is really exciting. It was some challenges in the beginning to, to do it over Zoom. And, mm -hmm. but, it, but in doing that, I think there was a lot of strength built on the committee, uh, the you know, members of the orchestra, and a lot more uh, education and vision when it comes to what direction we want to see the orchestra go in from our perspective, the musician's perspective. You know, management, even the best managements and, and most well-intentioned ones will not have the interests of the workers at the forefront of their mind. They can't. And right. it's it's not a indictment of them. It's it's just more of, you know, that's our job. We keep our interests at the forefront and we push those. And through negotiation and, and bargaining, we we come to a consensus. We come to an agreement of where we are right now and where we want to go in the future. And it's, it's really what, it's a, a peaceful and beautiful way to keep everything what we do, you know, whatever type of work going forward, which is what I, you know, ideally America is supposed to be about, right? We, we are supposed to be compromising and for the sake of going forward together as, as a unit. Right. Absolutely. Well, I'm really excited to hear that about the contract. And uh, I think the, the Zoom bargaining is something that a lot of unions have had to uh, experience in the last couple of years and it has its pros it has its cons for sure um but i'm glad y'all were able to work through that so you've got a five-year agreement was there anything about the agreement that you're particularly uh excited about or proud of i mean there there are raises there in every year there are raises to travel pay and other accommodations there's establishments of assistant principals which is a totally new position inside the orchestra which pays a couple people a little bit more money for a little more responsibility, uh, which wasn't there before, which in my mind, it really helps cover the orchestra and establishes really a already industry standard that exists. It brings the Huntsville Symphony into that standard, which is really exciting. Um, and, you know, I, I'll mention it that the, the contract was voted unanimously by the, the members of the orchestra. So I I'm happy about a lot of stuff, but more importantly, it sounds like that membership is is really happy about the work that the committee did. Right. That is also just a fantastic thing when, because I know how hard folks work on the ne negotiations committee. I've been on a bargaining team before, and it's always nerve wracking when you you present it to the membership and, and you, <laughs> you know, you, you you cross your fingers that you did the best you could do, but how that translates is is sometimes up in the air, right? On how members were, will perceive it. And, um, you know, it's all, it's good to get the outside perspectives after being locked in the negotiations. So to hear that your membership has unanimously passed this, that is, um, you know, that's great news that that bodes well for the future. And, and I'm glad to hear that there was engagement in the process. Sometimes those drawn out negotiations can, if nothing else, do that, right? Because people start to ask, well, okay, exactly. well, where are things at? You know, what, what what's the holdup? What's this? And and it gets people talking. And, you know, that's, as you said, the beautiful and, and democratic thing about the negotiations process of getting people engaged in their work and, and what they want their work to look like. Um, so that's that's great to hear. And certainly as, as an IATSE member in the entertainment industry, you know, 
I particularly have a soft spot for our AFM sisters and brothers and everyone else in the industry, uh, because ultimately, as y'all rise, so do we, and vice versa. Exactly. Vice exactly. Versa. And I, I always appreciate and prefer working environments where IATSE's there. I, I trust the expertise of them when I'm on stage, not just to like make what I'm doing sound good and look good. It, it's but also keeping me safe because I know a lot of the audiences recognize that there is a lot of stuff above our heads yes, that there is. can fall on us. And I, I always feel safer when, when I know IATSE is there. Right, right. That Again, there's a union difference because we care about the safety of our members. We care about our brothers and sisters on the job. It is a, we, we approach it with a team spirit. And so, yeah, you know, that's, that's one of those key differences in my mind is, is the safety aspect to it. Uh, and I have been amazed to, to get an inside view of what y'all do and yet to see y'all crammed into tiny little spots with mm -hmm. stuff over your head, stuff surrounding you, wires running all below you. Uh, it's really, it's amazing the work that y'all do uh, and the performances y'all, y'all, put on for folks and, and y'all bring joy to people. And, and I think that is just something that, um, you know, not everyone can say that about their job and that's really yeah. cool. Uh, and, and one last thing that I'll say uh, that your, your, converse, your comments made me think of professional athletes uh, because professional athletes, that's one, you know, group of folks in our society we can look at and say, okay, they are hyper talented. They have a unique skill set. That very few people do and, and because of that they command large sums of, of money in their salaries typically but every every professional athlete league is unionized exactly you know right? they their talents attract a lot of money to the industry and because they're unionized they have a greater say in how much of that is coming back to them who actually do the thing right and i think that's very important that's that's you know that I, one thing I wanted to mention is like, I'm just excited to see the newfound interest in the labor movement in, in so many parts of our lives and, and a more, a, a greater resurgence of understanding of what, you know, what your work does and the value it produces and how you can have a say in what your share of that work is, what that money of the benefit, the profit of that work uh, is really exciting to see. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you know, there's no game without the athletes. There's no performance without the musicians, um, and, and there's no performance without the the stagehands and, and everyone else who goes into that production. Uh, just as there's no coffee without the baristas. You know? Right. So I think I think we are seeing that resurgence, and I love to see it, and I love that it's happening, as you said, all over in different industries. You know, from musicians to coal miners to auto workers to baristas. Uh, it's it's a fabulous thing to see working working people feel empowered and work together to be empowered together. So, uh, Taylor, was there anything else you wanted to to share this morning that I didn't ask you about? No, <laughs> I think I think we hit a lot of great stuff, and I'm I'm really excited, and I really appreciate you asking me to do this. Uh, and it's like exciting and cool to see that that Huntsville, Alabama has a uh, a labor radio station or LM in general has a labor radio station. That's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're, we're out here. We're trying to spread the gospel of solidarity and uh, we are always uh, happy to highlight local unions in our area. So for those of you who are interested in music, go check out our brothers and sisters with AFM 80. 
if you are interested in entering the career, you know where to go now. Uh, I'll add one thing on that. If if you guys, you know, union brothers and sisters, uh, don't be afraid to come to orchestra concerts and other like that's your easiest place to see unionized music is the orchestras in your in your area, particularly Huntsville. You know, it it has a sheen of elitism and whatever, but but really that's not what it's about. We're we're working people playing music for working people and for all people. But it would be great to if you if you believe in buying union items, come support union musicians by coming to our shows. No matter and you know, don't be afraid to cross the barriers that that are falsely put in place. They're not they're not really there. I'm so glad you ended on that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I I echo those comments a hundred percent. Well, Taylor, thank you so much for speaking with us on the Valley Labor Report. Thank you for the work you're doing on behalf of your members, uh, and we send our love and solidarity to AFM Local 80. And y'all hit us up anytime. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right, folks. Just wrapped up that fantastic interview from our. Uh, great Adam Keller about the um, uh, with the American Federation of Musicians Local 80 really enjoyed it sounds like folks in the chat did as well um, on some of the uh, some of the uh, preamble that I gave to the interview there was some conversation about that in the chat uh, first from Jimmy Two Cent in the chat saying I've heard people say that the only real working class quote unquote is comprised of factory and construction workers nonsense which is meant to divide the working class and indeed that's that's definitely the case um, you know if if your idea of the working class or I've heard the term productive laborer only includes factory and construction workers you are artificially dividing working people and you are making it more difficult for us to come together and uh and and fight for all of us and i think and, most of our jobs are uh, service industry really right in the u.s yep yep and uh and and you know now so, some of this uh, it is obviously to the benefit of the owning class, but some of it does come from within the working class excel itself, as Free American 2020 mentions, that uh, many non-factory slash construction workers don't want to be called unionists. Uh, they have, quote-unquote, associations. And uh, Adam mentions that that's definitely right, uh, particularly with uh, some educators in Alabama being in a professional association, not a union. And the AEA better not catch you pretending they're a union because they find that offensive. Um, and it's, you know, it's really sad. I don't think that's obviously, that's obviously not an attitude that all or maybe even most teachers um, that are affiliated with the AFA or the AEA believe, but that's something that the leadership believe. Um, and so, so yeah, really enjoyed that interview um, and uh, love showing the, the diversity of, of working people. Um, and, uh, you can find more Adam's solo projects, more Adam's, uh, more of Adam's solo work on Thursday morning with Shop Talk. That is a new, uh, uh, new podcast, a new program that we are putting out as an Adam solo project every week, every Thursday morning, uh, focused solely on labor history and education. So, uh, there's going to be some, 
uh, some like union training type stuff. He had a show devoted to uh, how to get engaged as a new member of your union. Uh, he had an interview with Joe Emanuel Hall of Labor Notes uh, and talked about some of their Stewards Corner articles. Um, and then uh, the labor history is the thing that I'm most excited about. Uh, he opened the Shop Talk series with an episode about. Um, the 1979 Walker County, Alabama teacher strike, which is a really, really cool story about uh, 600 teachers who went on strike, 150 support staff who went on strike with them, and won everything that they were asking for um, against the Board of Education and the governor who served as the enemies in this battle. So it was a very, very cool story um, of cooperation between teachers and coal miners. Um, I'm not going to spoil too much more of it. You'll have to go and check it out yourself. Uh, And then last week, he talked about the uh, creation of a small neighborhood in Birmingham called Powderly, Powderly, Alabama, that was built by and for union members back in the, um, what was it? I can't remember now, 1800s, I think, um, by the Knights of Labor. Uh, there were there was housing, there was, um, and, and there were businesses that were built and run uh, cooperatively by the Knights of Labor. It's a very, very cool uh, bit of Alabama history. There's our heritage right there. That's I right. See some statues. Come on. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's super weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Super weird that uh, some of our leaders want to build statues to uh, treasonous uh, mm. slave holding traders instead of uh, working Alabamians who built mm. houses for working Alabamians. It's super, super strange, but. But uh, there's probably nothing to that. <laughs> probably nothing to that at all. So um, with that, though, we're going to go ahead and wrap up our uh, main show. I uh, do want to uh, give you all another reminder that we also air, in addition to, you know, we're on WVNN on Saturday mornings, WZZA on Tuesday afternoons, uh, but on Thursday morning and then WHIV on Saturday mornings the following week in New Orleans. Uh, But we're also on a Huntsville-based internet radio station called Unclaimed Mysteries Radio, Uh, and we uh, the program airs on 9 a.m. Thursday and Friday mornings there. Uh, They feature 1970s FM, underground radio-style music, eclectic local and regional music, experimental sounds, noisy and otherwise, Huntsville, Alabama arts, culture, and politics, audio theater, and comedy. You can listen on live 365 just search for unclaimed mysteries radio and some other plugs as we're heading out the door the aclu of alabama is holding a work the ledge virtual session on monday april the 10th at 6 p.m this is a legislative advocacy training program for everyday alabamians who want to learn and engage in alabama's legislative process this session's topic is alabama prisons and the death penalty Uh, Alabama Arise has their lobby day this Tuesday on April 11th, and you can register online. 
You can register online at alarise.org slash 2023 legislative day as seating is limited. Arise members will gather for a policy briefing and lunch followed by a news conference on the steps of the Alabama State House, followed by legislative visits, visits and finishing with a membership meeting. If you're interested in going to Montgomery to talk to representatives, this is a great opportunity. The North Alabama Labor Council has a barbecue uh, on April 22nd on Earth Day that will take place at Braun Spring Park, not Montesano, as has previously been advertised. Uh, wasn't able to find a pavilion that was open on April 22nd. So we're moving it to Braun Spring, which I think will in some ways be better because there's like a playground. There's more places for like the kids to run around. There's like a gym uh, right down the road that we could go play basketball at if we wanted to. So. It's going to be at Braun Spring Park, B-R-A-H-A-N Spring Park in Huntsville at, uh, at Pavilion 1. Uh, for union members, non-union members, allies in the Tennessee Valley, come on out, enjoy some good food and fellowship. It'll be 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. The grand opening of the Automotive Free Clinic will begin at 1 p.m. on April 15th at 1259 B South Memorial Drive, Prattville, Alabama, 36067, and will include live music and food. That sounds like a lot of fun. As they do each month, our friends at Labor Notes are hosting a series of online trainings. So if you're looking uh, to learn how to get involved in your union or in activism in general, Highly recommend you check it out. The Stewards Workshop Assertive Grievance Handling is the next one up. It's going to be on April 19th. Don't forget our new weekly series called Shop Talk airing on Thursday mornings. It's dedicated to labor education, history, and training. Check out the live stream Thursdays at 9.30 a.m. Central or as a podcast the following Monday. If you're not on our email list at tblr.fm, definitely sign up for that to stay up to date on the Valley Labor Report and our work to highlight the labor movement in the Tennessee Valley and across the South. Give us a call as we head into overtime, 844-899-TVLR. You can buy our hat or give us money on our website, tvlr.fm store. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share the program. We're heading into overtime now. We're going to be talking about the Tennessee Three and a lot more. Stay tuned. All power to the work.